0: God wants to help you live a significant life, but it doesn't happen without making the right choices and following the right principles. This message is the second in the series, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. The message is entitled, See and Seize the Right Opportunities. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we continue our series that we started last weekend entitled, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. How do you and I experience significance in life? And it's been said that there are three ways that you and I can live life. We can live life on the basis of survival, and there are a lot of people that kind of do that. They sort of survive day in and day out. And there are times in life when you you just need to survive. You kind of are successful if if you survive. But then we move from survival to a place where there is a dimension of success in life. That's what I mean by that is there's a margin, there's a sense when life is not always a crisis and so we have some level of, 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 of a sort of positive things going on in our lives. And that's a good thing, nothing wrong with that. But that's not the highest form of living. A lot of people think if I can just be successful, that's really what I want in life. But really, that's not true. Because the highest form of life is not success, the highest form of life is significance. There's a lot of difference between being successful and being significant. A significant life is a life where you're actually making a positive difference for other people. You're advancing God's kingdom, that something is happening in your life that's making a difference positively in the world around you. See, success is something that happens to you, significance is something that happens through you to bless other people around you. So we're pursuing this whole idea of significance. How do you and I gain this kind of life? How do we experience it? And to learn about the life of significance, we're going to the Old Testament. We're looking at one of the major characters of the Old Testament. His name was David. David was a key figure in the Old Testament preceding the coming of Jesus Christ. And even after the coming of Jesus, uh, many looked back to David and the Psalms and all the various things that he wrote to point us to a life of worship of our Savior, of our King, of our God. David was significant because the Bible says he had a heart after God. He had a heart that loved God, a heart that served God. He was not a perfect man, made a lot of mistakes in his life, but he had the right kind of heart. And so we learn something from David's heart that will help us to understand how to live a significant life. And I want to talk to you today about one aspect of significance. You'll never, have an, you'll never experience or have a significant life without understanding what I'm going to talk to you about today, and that is the, the word or the concept of opportunities, because part of living a significant life involves learning how to experience and receive and benefit from the God-given opportunities that will come your way. I'm going to share with you five things today that will help you to understand something about this dimension of opportunities and this aspect, of how it connects with the life of significance. Let me start by giving you the basic premise. I just mentioned it, but I'll give it to you very clearly right now. God gives people opportunities. An opportunity really is nothing more than than an open door for you that allows you to have something that otherwise you would not have the potential of experiencing. It's a potential. It's something that is laden with opportunity. There's an opportunity for you to do something. And one of the things that we learn about David in the Old Testament is David was a man who learned how to embrace his God-given opportunities. We're going to look today at one specific story. If I were to ask you, what is the most famous story? centered around the life of David, what would your answer be? David and Goliath. Everybody knows a little bit about that story, so we're going to dive into this story today. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll read a fair amount of Scripture today because I want to lay the entire context of this story out for you. We'll take it in different segments, but I want you to see this this wonderful embracing of opportunity that David experienced in his life and how it led to his life of significance. Notice with me, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse number one. Here's the setting and the unfolding of the story of David and Goliath. the most famous stories of all the Bible. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in, in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Dammon between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. I want you to look at the screen with me just for a moment. You'll see the setting of this particular story, this particular event that transpires. And so this is the Valley of Elah and you can go there today and you can visit it in Israel, but you see how it's laid out there. You'll see that on the right-hand side, on the top of that mountain to the right-hand side, the Philistines' camp was located there, and then right across the valley on the left-hand side was Saul's camp or the Israelites' camp, and right in the middle is a valley, and what is running in the middle of that valley? What do you see there? C-R-E-E-K, what is that? A creek, okay, so there's there's some water that flows in between the valley, and so we've got these two forces, the Philistine camp anti-Israel, they're trying to destroy God's people, Saul's camp, the Israelites, and they're set up for war in this environment. Very important thing to see. And of course, that creek running through the middle. Now, let's pick back up at the story now in verse number four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's over nine feet tall. So he was a massive giant. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And his leg on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His, his shield bear went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to, to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight one another, each other." This is what was happening. Remember this, the picture I gave you a moment ago, the two different hills that are there, the creek in the middle. And so here is now the, the focus of the attention of this comes upon a man, a giant by the name of Goliath, and he would come out each day for 40 days and he would intimidate the armies of Israel. He was saying, well, all I'm asking, send me one man, let's meet down in the valley, let's have a mano a mano, let's have a fight out. Let's see who's going to win this battle. If, if I win, then you all will be subjects to the Philistines. If you win the Israelite, Israelite representative wins, then we will become your subject. And so this was the, this was the prompt. This was the, the thing that was transpiring here in the moment. Notice now in verse number 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Again, he comes down in the valley, takes his stand. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and the fighting and the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out. As Jesse had, had, had directed, he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting." The war cry. Let's pick up the story, understand what's going on here. We've got the setting, the two armies that are now facing each other. We've got the taunting of Goliath to the uh, Israelite army. Uh, and then the, the story sort of shifts to remind us of what's going on here from Jesse's family background. Three of the oldest sons had now gone off to war. And they were in the battle or in the war in the army with the Israelites. David was going back and forth serving Saul and uh, playing his harp and calming him down when he was in a madman position, but he was also taking care of his father's sheep. And one day, uh, David was not in the war. He was not a soldier at this point in time. And one day Jesse says, you know, your brothers are in war and we want to find out how they're doing. They didn't have text messaging back then or Facebook or Instagram to find out what was going on. And so they needed to go and find out what's happening. So Jesse said, David, I want you to go to the battleground, take some food to your brothers and find out how they're doing and then come back and give me a report of what's transpiring so I'll know how my sons are doing in this battle, this potential battle. So David obeyed what his dad had told him to do. He got up early in the morning after his dad gave him the instructions to do this, and he goes and he checks out the battleground, and there he is on the battleground seeing all of this transpire. What I want you to see here, after all that history and that understanding, I want you to see that now God has placed David in a wonderful opportunity. It was an opportunity, actually... For Saul to defeat the Philistines, it was an opportunity for Saul's army to defeat the Philistines, but Saul had not risen to the occasion, nor had any of the soldiers of Israel risen to the occasion. And so now God brings David into this moment and gives him an amazing opportunity that will define the significance of his future. Remember today that God will bring opportunities in your life. One of the ways that God brings opportunities or one of the reasons why God will bring opportunities is that God uses them to guide you into the future He's planned for you. Not every opportunity is from God, but God will bring many opportunities into your life. And you and I need to learn something about recognizing them. And that's the second thing I want to talk about just for a moment. God-given opportunities have to be seen and they have to be seized. You never benefit from an opportunity unless you see it. Anybody ever had an opportunity that was in your life and then it went by and you thought, my goodness, I just missed it, right? It was a great opportunity, but I didn't see it in the moment. Well, you can't experience the benefit of an opportunity unless you really see it and then ultimately seize it. In the story that we see here, everybody in the story, nobody on Israel's side is seeing any opportunity. They're living covered by their fears. We'll talk about it in just a moment. They're not seeing the God-given opportunity, but David comes on the scene and he sees something that no one else is seeing. All of all the Israelite soldiers, all they could see was, was Goliath, but David comes, on the, uh, comes into the situation all he can see is God. This is a God-given opportunity for us to have an amazing victory. Now, as I mentioned, there was something that was blinding the, the, the Israelite army to their opportunity. Let's go now back to the Scriptures in verse 21 and let's see what it was that was blinding them because this applies to you and me in just a moment, we'll see. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Notice that, David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great... What's the word there? Don't forget that word, okay? They fled from him in great... Fear, good, now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And so here Saul had given this edict. If anybody in the Israelite army will be willing to fight this man, here's what I promised. I'm gonna give you a lot of wealth. You get to marry my daughter, which means you'll be royalty. And here's the great cherry on top of the sundae. You'll never have to pay taxes again. I mean, you're in right now, Okay. Never again. But here are the Israelites and they, they can't see it. They can't grasp it. All they could see was Goliath. They were blinded to this wonderful opportunity. Would you agree this was a great opportunity for somebody's life, right? Would you agree? A great opportunity, but they couldn't see it. Why could they not see this opportunity? It was very, very clear. We used the word. I emphasized it a moment ago. What was the word? It was the word fear. They were afraid. They were terrorized. They were were terrified by what they saw. They could not see the opportunity because all they could see was the problem, the difficulty. They did not want to face it or do anything with it. Let me tell you something. Fear can blind you to some of the greatest opportunities in your life can keep you from experiencing the God-given opportunities that He will bring your way. Many times we miss the beautiful things that God has in store for us because we are very much like the Israelite army. We are afraid. This is not the only time in Scripture we see examples of this. I'll quickly tell you about another time, and then we'll go back to the story of David. There was a time when Moses had led the children of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, and led them to the, to the, to the, to the borders of the promised land, Canaan. God had promised to give them this land. And so Moses said, before we go in and take the land, I want 12 of you guys to go in and check the land out and see how it is and give me a report back. And so he sent the 12, what we know to be the 12 spies into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to check it out and see what's going on. And they go and they look and think, my goodness, this is an amazing land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's an abundant amount of fruit and and the fruit's amazing. And they even brought back some fruit to show Moses. But then Moses said, what do you think about us going in and taking the land? And 10 of the 12 spies said, it's impossible, we can't do this because we saw giants there and we look like grasshoppers compared to the giants and we can't do this, it's impossible because they were operating not out of faith, they were operating out of fear. And only two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, believed that God could help them go in but the result of their 10 spies saying no was that they took all of the Israelites and convinced them that it could not happen, it could not be done. They missed their opportunity and they wasted 40 years. Are you hearing me today? They wasted 40 years because they missed their opportunity. These soldiers, going back to the story of David, these soldiers that were provided an opportunity to go and fight Goliath, they could, all they could see was Goliath. All they could feel was fear and they missed a wonderful opportunity for their lives. Can I ask you today? If you look at your life right now, what are the God-given opportunities in your life right now? What is God bringing to your life right now? That's an opportunity from Him, and maybe what's what's blinding you to that? Maybe you're blinded to the opportunity because of your fear. Maybe you're fr- you're afraid of saying yes to God. Maybe you are afraid of what it's going to require of you. What's holding you back? What's blinding you? It might be pride. Sometimes our pride gets in our way. Sometimes it's our personal plans. We'd rather do life our way rather than God's way. There are a variety of reasons that we can be blinded to the opportunities, but the key thing is is to say to God, to God, would you remove all of the blinders in my life so I can clearly see the opportunities that you are bringing my way? Would you remove all my sinful things? Would you remove all my dysfunctional thinking so that I can see what you want me to see? While the Israelite army couldn't see, David could see. He saw the moment and he sees the moment. See, it's not just enough to see it. You can see an opportunity, but you have to move past your fear then or whatever it might be in your life to actually seize it. And David sees the moment. Now let's go to verse 26 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. David asked the men standing near, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of a living God? So you see the faith rising in David's heart in this situation. Verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Not only do I see this as an opportunity, but I'm going to seize this moment. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. I mean, there's always people around telling you what you can't do. There will always be people in your life trying to tell you what you can't do. But you don't listen to the voices of the people telling what you can't do, you listen to the voice of God telling you what you can do, So David was tuning out these other voices because even Saul tried to convince him, you can't do this, don't you know who you are? Look in the mirror, son, you're just a young man, 15, 17 years of age, and you're not even, you're nowhere near as big as he is, look, he's over nine feet tall, you cannot do this, it is impossible. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, this is verse 34, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and res- rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it. What's the word there? I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Let me tell you something, I don't care how old or young you are, if you grab a lion or a bear and you take him on, mano a mano, hand to hand, I'm telling you, you are a man. Right? This is this guy, right? He's an amazing guy, young guy, but he's got something in him that has the capacity of seeing and seizing opportunities. He says in verse 37, the Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. It's always easy to send people into battle rather than go yourself. God bless you, you go, have a good time, okay. (laughs) Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. This is funny right here to see this. So Saul finally says, well, at least if you're gonna go into battle, let me give you my armor, okay? So he dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Can you just imagine David, young David, with all this stuff and big old helmet on his head, right, Okay. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Like it says that he tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. What was running right in the midst of those two valleys? a creek, a stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with a sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bare in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, oh, I'm so sorry that I tried to come in and, 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 and try to fight you. Please forgive me. I'm going back again. No, no. David said to the Philistine, he said all these, Goliath has has, has intimidated him with all these words. Notice what happens. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's just getting his sermon started, okay? He's getting his sermon going on, okay? He's got something moving in his spirit. It's the Holy Ghost moving in his heart, moving in his life. Faith is rising inside of him. So now his sermon gets a little bit stronger. Verse 4. 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I like his sermon. How about you, okay? See, that's the way you need to be preaching to your enemies, Okay not your, your physical enemies but the spiritual enemies that would try to intimidate your life. This is the kind of message you need to stand up and proclaim as David did. What was he doing in this moment? He not only saw the opportunity, he's now seizing the opportunity. And because he seized the opportunities, we'll see in a moment his future is radically changed. He progressed from seeing to seizing and the same will be true, needs to be true in your life and my life. If we're going to have a life of significance, you have to see the opportunities that God gives you not every opportunity is from God, but God will bring opportunities in your life. See the God opportunities that he brings you and then seize them, take hold of them and do something with them. Are you ready for the third point today? I think this is the best point of all of them. If you didn't like the first two, you'll like this one, okay? God-given opportunities are often disguised as challenges. I'll give you a moment to write that down then I want you to look this way with me for a moment to I'll illustrate it this way. Let's say you're walking down the streets of Washington, D.C., and you come across one of the corners, a crosswalk there, and somebody's standing on the corner handing out $100 bills. No strings attached, $100 bills for any and everybody. How many of you would be in that line? Would you? Okay. I would say, what an opportunity. I see the opportunity because it's coming in the form of something that it seems to be useful to me and something that seems to be a blessing. And so it's not hard to see opportunities when they look good, when they look like amazing things in your life. However, if somebody's standing on that same street corner and they're handing out problems, you would run the other way, right? Okay. Because we're not looking for an opportunity oftentimes in problems. We're looking at an opportunity and a blessing, but I will tell you, God... It's amazing in how he works because God usually brings an opportunity to you in the form of a problem, in the form of a challenge, in the form of a responsibility, in the form of, I'll give you another, another word for this. It's the word work. God will often give you an opportunity and it comes dressed up like work, W-O-R-K. Let me say it again. God will often bring you an opportunity, but it may not look like a God to give an opportunity because it's dressed up like work it's dressed up like a responsibility. It's dressed up like something you've got to deal with in your life. It might even be a problem. And it's easy to push work away and not to see it as what it is or a challenge away and to push it from our lives. That can't be God. You know, it's, just, oh, it's just work. That's just what I, it's just not, it can't be God in that. But I want you to realize today that oftentimes this is exactly how God works. God works by giving you work. God works by allowing you to face some problems and overcome some challenges in your life. That's your opportunity. See, when David showed up on the battlefield, what did the opportunity look like? It looked like a really big problem, correct? It looked like a huge problem and his name was Goliath. It looked like something that nobody else was willing to tackle, but nevertheless, David was willing to tackle it because he realized it for what it was. And I want you today to realize that the... The opportunities that are in your life right now, many times they're right before you, but you're missing them because they're they're wrapped up, they're dressed up as work, they're dressed up as a responsibility, they're dressed up as a challenge, they're dressed up as a problem. But that's the way God disguises, that's the way God dresses opportunities. Let's go back now and see what happens in verse 48 of 1 Samuel 17. Now, David just gave this amazing sermon to, to Goliath. Notice what happens next. As, Philist, as the Philistine, the Goliath, moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the toward the battle, toward the problem. He ran quickly toward it, toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without his sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath, After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The reason that David wins this victory was because he saw the opportunity and he was dressed up like a problem, but he still addressed it. And the Bible says something amazing happened next. In verses 52 and 53, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the, along the Sherem Road to Gath and Ekron. When the Phil- Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Here's an amazing thing that transpires in your life many times. That when you embrace your opportunities, it looks like work, they look like work, look like a problem, a challenge, look like a Goliath in your life. When you embrace it and you win a victory, it inspires other people to embrace and win victories as well. That's what it means to be a leader, and God wants you to be a leader in your life. Whatever realm of life you might be in, you need to be a leader, and to be a leader means that you embrace your opportunities so that you can inspire other people to embrace theirs. All the other soldiers surged after David won the victory, and they won some victories as well. Point number four, increased opportunities are the fruit of faithfulness in smaller ones. It's very intriguing to see uh, David's character in the story, various things that he reveals to us, but the basic thing I wanna give you is three, are three things that, that David demonstrated in character here that are, that are vital to us if we want a significant life. The first thing is, is simple obedience. We miss this in the story sometimes. Why was David in the battlefield that day? Does anyone remember why he was there? He didn't wake up that morning. He didn't have an angelic visit where God spoke to him and said, David, go to the battlefield today. You're going to defeat Goliath. It's going to be amazing. He didn't wake up with a dream or vision. No prophet came to him that day. You know who came to him that day? His daddy did. He said, son, I need you to go take some bread and cheese, deliver some food to your brothers, find out how they're doing. A very simple set of instructions. Sometimes we miss our opportunities, again, because we're waiting for some kind of glorious, glamorous announcement of something in our life. This is so, going to be so amazing and so great. It's been confirmed in amazing, miraculous, supernatural ways. But I will tell you, many times the way you'll get an opportunity in your life is somebody will come to you and say, I need you to do this for me. Could you help with this? Could you assist in this area? Could you be a part of this? And it's not something that's grand, grandiose and magnificent. It's just a simple thing that you're asked to do. I mean, that anybody can deliver bread and cheese, right? Anybody can deliver bread and cheese. Anybody can find out how somebody's doing and bring a report back. It's not anything amazing, but what David didn't realize was packaged in that little request to go and deliver bread and cheese to his brothers was a greater opportunity that God had planned for him. What if David had said, "No, Dad, I don't want to do that." You didn't even invite me to the anointing party last week, right? Right? If you're missing that part, you have to listen to the message from last week. Why would I go, Dad? You always ask me to do these kind of things. He could have resisted. He could have rebelled. He could have said no. But he didn't. What did he say? He said, yes, yeah, so I'll be glad to do this. And he he takes, he gets up. The Bible says, it's very specific. It says early the next morning he got up. That means it was an eagerness to do the very thing that he he was asked to do. And I'll tell you that in your life, when you're asked to do things that represent a, a, a potential of life and just something that might seem very simple, just just obey, just do what you're asked to do. And many times when you're doing what you're asked to do, you'll find that in the midst of that, there's something bigger that God had in mind that you didn't even see in the moment. So David had this capacity for simple obedience. Then he also had the commitment to faithful service. He was, he was a servant. I don't have time to walk you through all the stories of David this part of his life, but he was already serving. By the way, he was already serving Saul. Saul didn't quite realize it, but he was serving Saul because Saul would get into these mad rages, and so they needed somebody to play a harp and to kind of calm him down, and so David was going back and forth from Bethlehem to Saul's palace, and he was playing the harp for him to calm him down in moments and go back home and serve his dad, and when he went to the battlefield, he was serving his brothers, the very brothers that didn't even like him, but he had this faithful heart of service. Let me tell you something. I've noticed it over the years. The people that seem to get the greatest opportunities in life are those that just know how to simply obey and say yes to things and embrace things that might seem small and they're willing to do them anyway and they embrace them and make them a part of their life. And they, They're faithful at it, they just are faithful servants. It's amazing how God looks for that characteristic of faithfulness in your life. You know why God highlights faithfulness in people's lives? Because he's faithful. And when you're faithful, you're demonstrating a God-like character, so when you're faithful, you're being like God, it's called godliness. But there's something else that's in David's life. He had some past victories that prepared him for his present challenges. David, in the midst of the story, describing his now his, his his willingness to seize the opportunity with Goliath, reflects back on what had happened to him previously. He says, By the way, let me just tell you, Saul, before I go into battle with Goliath, let me give you a little bit of my history. There was a time that I was taking care of my daddy's sheep, and There was a a lion that came and grabbed one of the sheep and was gonna take it off and it's just one But I went after that lion, I I grabbed him and I I killed the lion and I rescued the sheep. And there was a time when there was a bear that showed up and the bear got a hold of one of the little lambs of the flock and I could have let it go, but instead I I saw that as an opportunity and I went and I, I grabbed that bear and we wrestled for a moment and I took him down and I took him out and I got the lamb back. David said, those were times that prepared me for this time. Listen, you'll never get to your Goliath unless you win over a lion. You'll never get to your Goliath unless you win over a bear. God's going to give you some tests along the way. They'll seem smaller than the big test he has for you, but you've got to be faithful. You've got to fight the battles no matter how small they might be because every battle is leading to something bigger in your life. David would have never had the ability to challenge the Goliath in his life had he not challenged the lion and challenge the bear. You may not be facing a Goliath today, but I'm sure you're facing some kind of lion in your life. You're facing some kind of bear. Rise up against that and deal with that. It'll prepare you for everything that God has in store for your future. And that brings me to my last point that I want to give you today. Last point is this. By the way, I'm skipping over some verses for sake of time today. You can go back and read them on your own. But the last point I want to give you today is uh, uh, the fifth point. This is key to the whole story. How you handle God-given opportunities will determine your destiny and create your legacy. What you do with your opportunities matters. How you handle your work matters. How you handle your responsibilities matters. How you handle your problems and your battles. All these things really do matter. God is watching. Everybody say, God is watching. It's an amazing thing to think about the omniscience of God. All-knowing God, that he knows everything. He's able to in the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. And to understand the fact that God is watching us, that God is aware. Not to watch us with some kind of mean, I'm going to get you kind of mentality. That's not the, the nature of God. He loves us. He cares for us. But he does watch over our lives. He watches how we live our life. He watches how we handle our work. He watches how we handle our responsibilities. God watches us. He's looking for us to see and seize opportunities that he brings our way. And David learned in this situation that when you handle your God-given opportunities the right way, that's what leads to a life of significance. Because what transpires now is incredible. After David wins the battle, here's this little shepherd boy that nobody knew about. Nobody knew anything about David. He was not some well-known person in Israel. He was a little shepherd boy. As I mentioned a moment ago, even his dad didn't think really highly of him. He didn't even invite him to the time that it was, it was time for anointing for the next He didn't even think about inviting David. Nobody thought highly of David. He's a little shepherd boy, 15, 17 years of age. Nobody knows about him. But because he was willing to seize his opportunity, now everybody knows about him. Look at verse, chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. These are the last verses we'll read today. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. Notice this, now the victory's been won and so all the ladies are filling the streets and they know this great battle has been won and they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're shouting because all their men are coming home, they haven't lost their lives, and so it's a great time. See, it's just like when people come home from war. We have celebrations, right? Okay. This is a celebration of people coming home from war, and so they're all celebrating. They're singing, and they're dancing in the streets, and they're beating their timbrels, and they're playing their lyres, and, they're, and this is an amazing moment. Notice what happens next. As they dance, they sing. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his, what? tens of thousands. Now suddenly, who was the most popular person in Israel at this point in time? No, before David, who was it? Saul, right? Okay. So Saul was the most popular person in Israel. Who was David? He was an unknown. Nobody knows this guy. He's a little guy that sits on the back of a hillside. All he ever does is watch his sheep and plays and sings. Seems to be kind of a little bit of a, kind of an esoteric person. He seems to be someone that's always involved in worshiping God in some way. Nobody really knows anything about David, but now after he has seen and seized his opportunity when it's all over with, now everybody is singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Just put that little equation together. Now who's the most popular in Israel? David is, okay, why? Because he saw and he seized his opportunity. I'm not talking about seeking popularity here. What I'm talking about is seeking significance, okay? Because this was the moment that God took David and put him up on the platform and said, I've seen what you've done in private. I've seen your heart. I've seen the way you've demonstrated this commitment to me and seeing and seizing the opportunities that come your way. Now I'm preparing you for the next thing. And because David was known as the young man who, who slew Goliath, Years later, when it comes time for a new king to be established in Israel, whose name do you think comes to the forefront in everybody's mind? Once Saul is dead, now who does everybody think is the next guy ready for the job? David, why? Because he saw and he seized opportunities. Dear ones, gonna conclude today by just reminding you all that story, and I hope you'll go back and look at those five points because they're very important. As I told you last weekend, I really don't feel like this is a series of messages. It's just designed to just preach to you and give you little lessons. I really believe it's a critical prophetic series for your life. Are you hearing me this morning? I love you as your pastor and I want you to be the best and experience the most that God has for every one of you. You're full of great potential. Every one of you here full of tremendous potential. You haven't seen your best yet. I don't care if you're young or older, you haven't seen your best yet. And what I wanna remind you of today is that God has not just a successful life for you, God has a life of significance for you. And significance is not about being successful, it's about seizing, seeing, and seeing the opportunities that he brings to our life. There are opportunities in your life right now. They may not look like opportunities, they may look like work, they may look like some responsibility that you have in your life, or some role that you're fulfilling, or some battle you're fighting, or some problem you're trying to solve that may not look like an opportunity. It may look like something very different, but in essence, that is the opportunity that God is giving you. And if you'll handle it and fight it like David did and become victorious, then I promise you that will prepare you for your destiny. It'll prepare you for your legacy. See and seize your opportunities. Would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for your word. We're grateful this morning for the opportunity we've had to to spend some time reflecting on the life of David and really massaging that into our hearts. I pray that we would continue to understand this in greater measure. I pray you'll help us, Lord, in each of our lives to see the things you brought our way, are opportunities that you have given us, Lord, and our future is wrapped up in those, those opportunities. Help us to do them well, Lord. Help us to give our heart to them. Let us fight the battles that we need to fight and overcome the enemies we need to overcome and help us to do the work that we need to do and fulfill the responsibilities you've given us because Lord in those are the seeds of our future seal this in our heart we thank you for it in Jesus name I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life would you pray with me right now right where you are just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and You can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash anewyou. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.